0: Doing that, I want to share something with you that has set many people free. Whether you wherever you're at on the spectrum, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't, or, or or you're just really struggling right now, or wherever you're at in life, this has the power to set you free, and it's this doubt is normal. Doubt is normal. Okay, I was sitting across from a guy today at lunch, or not today, but this week at lunch, and he was sharing his story with me. And he was sharing how he went through some really, really difficult times. And he, he believed in Jesus, he loved Jesus, but had all sorts of questions and doubts. But he was really freed by the fact that it, it's not abnormal to doubt. It's act, that's actually a normal thing, especially when going through crisis. William Lane Craig said this, any Christian who is intellectually engaged and reflecting about his faith will inevitably face the problem of doubt. Doubt is normal, but he also says the problem of doubt, it is a problem, but it's not something to be ashamed of or hidden. But it has to be dealt with or it's going to eat you up alive. And that's why all questions are welcome here. If you're here this morning, you have some doubts, you've got some questions, let's talk about it. You're welcome here. But how can we face doubt? If doubt is a problem, it's normal, but it's a problem, what do we do about it? How do we face it? Well, we do it in in two different ways, Uh, two main ways anyway. It's with facts. Looking up reasons for why we believe what we believe and experience. And so I want to spend most of our time this morning giving you some facts. Some evidential proofs. Specifically for the resurrection of Jesus. And then I want to give you some empirical proofs. And we'll actually hear, that's experiential proofs. We'll actually hear someone's own experience. Someone sharing their story here this morning. Theologian John Stott said this. Christianity is is in its very essence of resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. Here's what he's saying. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's be done and just go out to eat. Like, let's just forget this whole church game if Jesus is not alive. But he is alive. And there are great reasons, great things to stand on. As to how we know for sure that he did rise from the dead. So this morning, I'm going to be sharing with you some evidence, both in this passage and from from outside of this passage, of the things that were most compelling to me for the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to be leaning heavily on three books. I'm not going to pretend this morning uh, that all of this is original thought, okay? So you have Josh McDowell's more than a carpenter. Tim Keller's Reason for God, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ. Go read those if this really interests you or you're struggling with doubt. Go read some of those. So let's start with the scripture. and we'll start with our home base of 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll be looking at 1 through 11 today. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So let's hone in on verses 3 through 8 to start with today. Evidential proofs, facts, facts. The first is eyewitness testimony. And if you have your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blank notes. If you you like that, uh, use it. If you don't, that's cool too. Uh, Do whatever is going to help you. But eyewitness testimony. Jesus' resurrection. Did you see in here? It's confirmed by over 500 witnesses, including skeptics like Paul and James. 500 witnesses. But let's start with James. Why would he mention James here? Well, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And during Jesus' lifetime, he was a skeptic of Jesus. He's like, Yeah, you're my brother, but I don't think you're the Messiah. I don't think you're God. Okay, so in James cha- or, sorry, John chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, it says, So his Jesus' brothers, James being one of them, said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. He was doing a bunch of miracles. So they're like, hey, if, you're, if this is for real, why don't you show everybody? For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And this is key, verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. James is a skeptic. Doesn't even believe in Jesus during his lifetime. This would be like, imagine you have a brother, maybe you do have a brother, I don't, I just have a younger sister, Um, but imagine you had a brother, and they go to the moon, and bring back a big chunk of the the moon, a big moon rock, and just lay it before you and go, see, I've been to the moon, and if you just sat there and went, no, no one's ever been to the moon, it's all conspiracy, you didn't go. It's not real. That's what this would be like, okay? James has Jesus before him, his brother, doing miracles, okay? He's he's watching water turn into wine, all of this, all these miracles that Jesus did. And he's going, yeah, you're my brother. I know, you, you know, we're family, but you're not God. You're not the Messiah. I don't believe you. So you know that something over-the-top miraculous, he's already seen miracles, something over-the-top miraculous must have happened to convince James to believe in Jesus. And that over-the-top miraculous event was the resurrection. Jesus coming to life. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, James is waiting for Jesus' return. He's eagerly waiting for Jesus' return. Something changed. In Acts 15, he's the leader at the Jerusalem church. And and we see even in in our Bibles, the book of James, that's written by Jesus' brother, this James. Jesus rose from the dead, and James saw Jesus alive and went, oh man, I, I got it wrong. I got it all wrong about you, Jesus, I believe. We also see he mentions Paul here. Paul, or formerly called Saul, remember him when we were in Acts? He was literally slaughtering Christians for fun. It would have been absolutely ridiculous and just a a really abrupt switch for Saul, of all people, who's killing Christians to become a Christian unless he actually encountered the living Christ, which he did because Jesus is alive. And the most convincing, you have those skeptics who believe, but you also have 500 people at once who believe, it says in verse 6. It says, most of whom are still alive. He's like, he's like, go ask them. Go ask those 500 people. They're still alive. Like this audience that Paul was writing to in Corinth, they literally could have gone to these people and said, hey, did you see Jesus alive? Is this a real thing? And they could say, yeah, I saw him. Most likely this happened, in Matthew 28, when Jesus is giving the Great Commission, we're not for sure when this happened. But think about it for a second. Think, think about it like this. How difficult would it be to convince 500 people? or to? I'm sorry, let me start over. How difficult would it be to tell 500 people that Beyonce came to Boone if she didn't? Okay, you gather 500 people, you go, you know what? Beyonce hasn't come to Boone, at least that I know of. Um, She's not going to, probably. But I want you all to just spread the word that she came and you guys need to act like you saw her in concert and she was here, right here in Boone. It wouldn't last. It would leak. Okay? People, it just couldn't happen. Okay? Um, But on top of that, These physical appearances of Jesus, so he appeared to 500, he appeared to these skeptics. They occurred in different places with different groups of people. And it included Jesus eating, teaching, walking, and allowing them to touch him. This was an actual resurrection of a real physical body. He had a fish fry with his disciples. He walks and talks with some of the disciples on their way to Emmaus. They were discouraged because Jesus had died. Their leader. They put their hope in him. He's dead. So they're walking away from Jerusalem where that happened, discouraged. He lets Doubting Thomas, one of the disciples, physically touch his side and his hands. So it's not just several eyewitnesses. It's several eyewitnesses at different times and, different and in different ways. So let's go back to our Beyonce analogy. Beyonce, let's imagine she does a show for 100 people at the fairgrounds and another show for 300 at the high school auditorium, has coffee with 10 people at Dutch Oven, and then does an album signing at Forte Studios for 90 people. It would be impossible it would be impossible to say that, to make all of that up and convince all those people to just lie about it. See, Jesus did, actually did rise from the dead. And Paul's saying in this passage just go ask them. Eyewitness testimony. The second evidence we have is this extravagant alternatives aren't plausible. Extravagant alternatives aren't plausible. So here's what skeptics have said through the years. They've come up with the swoon theory. The swoon theory is this, that Jesus didn't actually die. He just blocked out for a while or something like that. Here's why that's not plausible. Romans were experts in executions. They didn't mess it up. In John 19.34, it describes Jesus being stabbed in the side with blood and water coming out of his side. He was dead. Now, I'm not in the medical field, and I'm not going to pretend to really know my stuff here, but as best as I can understand, when people were crucified, um, they'd have a nail driven uh, driven through their feet and their legs, and so they'd have to push up on that nail just to expand their chest so that they could breathe and get oxygen to their lungs and to their heart and to their whole body so your heart would start working overtime because of lack of oxygen and when that happens um you're, when you have lack of oxygen all of your organs uh start to uh break down and it produce start they start to leak a fluid um that's that's like water and so when these soldiers pierced Jesus in the side and water and blood came out it means that his lungs and his heart's and his heart was failing, and if he wasn't dead before, he's dead now because he just got poked in the lungs and the heart. On top of that, Roman guards were killed if they made a mistake. These are the highest stakes possible to do a thorough job. Right? Imagine your boss comes to you, right, and, your, and says, "Hey." Um, I need you to get me a Starbucks Venti Dirty Chai Double Shot Non-Fat Hot. That, that's Joey's order, by the way. I'll say it again. You can get your pens ready if you want to bless him. Um, Is a Starbucks Venti Dirty Chai Double Shot Non-Fat Hot. Okay? And don't you ever get me coffee because I hate it in any form. Um, I will gladly accept all forms of soda. Um, but... Imagine your boss comes to you and says, hey, get me this drink. It's really specific. And says, if you don't get it right, I'm not just going to fire you. I'm going to kill you. You're going to get that right. Okay? You're not screwing that order up. Okay? And that's what these Roman guards had going on. When they did crucifixions, their lives were on the line if they didn't make sure these people were killed on the cross. Jesus did actually die. Another extravagant alternative is that the disciples stole the body. Well, elite Roman guards were at the sealed tomb. Any attempt would have been suicide for thieves. Think like King Leonidas from the movie Three Hundred, or Maximus and Gladiator. Okay, these are guys. Those were the guys standing at the tomb. Okay, you're not getting past those guys, and and uh, think about this: the, the disciples were fishermen and tax collectors, as well as other professions that uh, you know don't necessarily have a, a good reputation for being strong. <laughs> okay, try getting through that. Didn't happen. The disciples did not steal the body. New Testament describes. The disciples is being scared, stunned, and disillusioned after Jesus' death. They were in no condition to steal the body. Luke 24, like I said earlier, you have these disciples going to, uh, on the road to, um, to Emmaus. And they say to Jesus, and they didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus is walking alongside them, one of the appearances, after he rose from the dead, but they say, hey, we had hoped he was the Messiah, but he wasn't. They, didn't, they were just depressed. They were defeated. They were in no condition to steal a body. Another theory is the hallucination theory. This is that the witnesses were just hallucinating. They were you know, just having these, these weird experiences where they saw Jesus alive. Well, Jesus appeared before a large number of people at various times. Were they all hallucinating? It doesn't explain the empty tomb either. Jews or Romans could have just produced that body at any time, but they didn't, and they haven't, and they won't because he's alive. Jesus' followers weren't expecting him to rise from the dead. And it doesn't explain why skeptics like James and Paul, who we talked about, would have been hallucinating. They had every reason in the world not to be hallucinating. Or even if they did, to propagate that. Third evidence embarrassing details. Embarrassing details. See, each gospel states that the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection were women, and women were considered to be second class citizens at that time. If you made this up, you should have had more credible witnesses than women. If you were just to sit down, if these disciples actually sat down and were like, okay, let's make up some stuff and make up that Jesus rose from the dead and all of this, they they should have included Roman guards or Jewish leaders or someone more well thought of as their witnesses, as the first witnesses, but instead they choose women. Now, it wasn't right of them at that time in that culture to treat women as second-class citizens. Okay, that wasn't okay. That's just how life was at that time. But clearly, the Gospels are just reporting what happened. They're just saying, here's what happened. It's an embarrassing detail. The disciples suddenly moved from fear and skepticism at Jesus' death to becoming devoted followers and worshiping him as God. Tim Keller says this, It's not enough for this skeptic, then, to simply dismiss the Christian teaching about the resurrection of Jesus by saying, it just couldn't have happened. He or she must face and answer all these historical questions. One, no other band of Messianic followers in that era concluded their leader was raised from the dead. Why did this group do so? Two, Jews did not believe in divine men or individual resurrections. What changed their worldview virtually overnight? See, they had no rational reason to just come up with this. It wasn't even a thought for them, someone rising from the dead. So where would they have come up with that? And Keller says several times in his books, and and if you listen to him speak, he challenges skeptics, and he challenges people who are struggling with doubt to doubt your doubts. What are you actually standing on? And this is, this is a great case where he does that. You know, it actually takes more faith to not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And my favorite embarrassing detail is from Josh McDowell's More Than a Carpenter. It says this, If the resurrection had happened, obviously the disciples would have known it. Therefore, they not only would have died for a lie, here's the catch, they would have known it was a lie. Peter, originally called Simon, was crucified. Andrew was crucified. James, son of Zebedee, was killed by the sword. John, son of Zebedee, died a natural death. At least one of them. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was crucified. Thomas was killed by a spear. Matthew was killed by the sword. James, son of Alphaeus, was crucified. Thaddeus was killed by arrows. Simon, the zealot, was crucified. People do not give up their lives for things that are fabricated. You know, the, great, the greatest test of anything being authentic, the great authenticity test is this. Will you die for it? They did. Ten of Jesus' closest followers died for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Now let's go back to talking about doubt a little bit. Doubt is not simply intellectual. Doubt is normal, but it's not simply intellectual. Let's look back at our passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul knew that we can't just believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus, initially. He knew that we, it says in here, that we have to stand and hold fast to Jesus. And he knew that in order to stand and hold fast, we have to have good reasons for what we believe. So that's what he gives in verses 3 through 8. But he also knew that standing and holding fast is not just an intellectual thing. You can throw facts at people who are doubting all day long, and they'll still doubt. William Lane Craig said it like this, Doubt is not just a matter of academic debate or disinterested intellectual discussion. It involves a battle for your very soul. And if Satan can use doubt to immobilize you or destroy you, then he will. See, that's the reason why when I was in youth ministry, I had a student who was really doubting and had a lot of questions. I gave them all sorts of great reasons for their questions. But he still really struggled with doubt. Here's why. It's not just intellectual. I was being a bad pastor and not praying for him like I should or encouraging him to get prayer support from others. See, Paul says in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not just against flesh and blood, It's against the cosmic powers. It's against the devil and his schemes. It's not just intellectual. It's a fight for your very soul. The devil wants you to doubt and stay in that doubt and not share it with anyone. He wants you to stay alone, isolated, and defeated. But Jesus, Jesus goes, no. I can handle your questions. And I'm standing here this morning too Go bring your questions, not just to me, but other people you know and love and trust who are following Jesus. Walk together in this. When you're struggling with doubt, share it with as many people as possible so that they, they can be praying for you because it's a battle for your soul. And this is why we need empirical evidence as well experiential evidence, not just facts. We need experience. It helps us stand. It helps us stand firm with, different, with a, a different kind of confidence beyond our head to our heart. So here's some of that experiential evidence, and we see it right in this passage. Start in verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. First, it's others' experience. He says at the end there, so you believe. He's talking to the Corinthian church. You believed in Jesus. Others' God stories is key. When you're struggling with doubt, ask other people to share with you their experiences with God. We heard from my wife Heather a couple weeks ago. We're going to hear from Randy Shaver in a few minutes We're going to hear from others in the coming weeks. And we're not sharing stories just to share stories. We're sharing stories because that's evidence. Those are proofs of the living Jesus. And we need those, not just on Sunday mornings uh, around Easter. We need these day in and day out. Ask other people, hey, how has God been working in your life? How is God changing you? We need that. Share it with other people. Be quick to share how God is working and moving because it proves that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive and moving and working in powerful ways. The second experiential evidence is our own experience. Others' experience and our own experience. Paul spends several verses here talking about his own experience. His experience was incredibly significant to him. It motivated him and propelled him forward. His experience was also incredibly humbling. He's like, I'm totally undeserving. It's by the grace of God I am what I am. I I lived in a a life of sin. I persecuted Christians. but, But Jesus, who was alive, showed up. My life's never been the same. You need your God story as much as other people do. Write it out. Have it ready, if not for any other reason, but for your own soul on days of doubt. Most days, the most compelling evidence to you will be your own story and experience. So have that ready to go. And if you don't know what that means, you don't know what that looks like, uh, listen to a message I gave a few weeks ago. Some of you today really needed this for yourself. Maybe you're really struggling with doubt and you needed some solid evidence. Here's my challenge to you if you're in this camp this morning, don't leave this building today without getting some prayer because it's not just intellectual. I would love to pray for you. Joey would love to pray for you. Grab someone that you know and trust that you came with maybe. Say, hey, I'm struggling with doubt. I need your help. I need some prayer. Don't stay alone. And for the rest of us, you have or will have people in your life struggling with doubt. They need you to share this evidence that you learned here this morning with them. They need you to point them to some of those books I mentioned. They need you to share your story with them. They need you to pray with and for them. Because as Zach Cunningham said a couple weeks ago, the gospel came to you in order to go to someone else. Don't leave this evidence here today. Don't leave your own story to yourself. Share it liberally. Because it's a battle. It's a battle for our souls. Pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that even right there in your scripture, we have convincing evidence that you did rise from the dead. You are living God and so I pray if there are those here that are struggling with doubt that they wouldn't stay alone give them supernatural strength to reach out and find some help today and I pray for the rest of us give us give us courage give us strength to walk alongside other people who are struggling with doubt and help give them answers and reasons and share our experience with them God Thank you so much that we we get to worship a living God. All other religions worship a dead deity. But we worship you, Jesus, and you truly are alive. Amen.